Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Well, praise the Lord. Thanks for being with us today. We pray that you would already sense the peace and the manifest presence of King Jesus today. I want to read one scripture up front. It's found in the Gospel of John, John chapter 6 and verse 38. While you're turning there, I was blessed this morning on my way out from the house. I overheard uh, my youngest talking to my wife, and she mentioned uh, some family and uh, the kids of a family. I didn't hear the name, actually, of who she was referring to, but I heard the back end of the conversation. And uh, my wife said, well, you know, I don't know if they'll be back to dwelling place. And uh, my youngest looked at her mom and said to her, basically, oh, I don't understand. Why would they not want to come back to dwelling place? That is the best church. Why would anyone want to go to another church? And, you know, that blessed me. And there's a lot of great churches, but it is our prayer that if you're part of Dwelling Place, you are so grateful for what God has done and is doing in this community. And uh, what a blessing to be a part of the body of Christ in a local place and to see Christ working through us. Let me read now John 6 and verse 38. Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. I want to teach today a message that I've titled R3. And before I do, I want to pray. Father, I thank You that I have access to Your throne of grace in a new and a living way, the way of Jesus. For there's no other name and no other way to come before You to be reconciled, restored, and in a right relationship with you except through Jesus. I thank you, Father, that Jesus became righteousness and wisdom and sanctification for us. That He became a model, a pattern, an example, a visible display for us. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that today you would manifest and reveal Jesus to hearts, to homes, to lives that you would have your way in me and through me, that Jesus alone would be glorified. For this we give you praise. Amen. You know, we're concluding today the series we've been in titled Portraits of Christ. And as we conclude this series, I want to ask us, ask you a question up front. Have you ever viewed Jesus as the principle of the cross in demonstration, and in action. Let me say it again. Have you ever viewed the person and the life of Jesus as the principle of the cross in demonstration, in practice, and in action? You know, many and most of us in America, when we think of the cross, we think of the one just over my left shoulder here. We think of the the cross that Jesus hung and died upon. But you know, the, the cross of Jesus illustrates the reality of divine restriction. Divine restriction. See, the divine restriction of God upon Jesus just culminated at the physical cross. But it did not begin there. And when we think about portraits of Christ and seeing Christ more clearly and more completely and more fully, we really are confronted with this portrait of Christ of the principle of the cross. This reality of a way of God called divine restriction. See, Jesus did not just die on the physical cross... He lived the principle of the cross his entire life. 
This brings us to our main scripture there in the Gospel of John, in John 6, 38, where Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven. He's clear on His purpose. He affirms His purpose statement. He affirms His mission. He affirms His identity. He has clarity of who He is, what He's sent for. He says, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. The... In the Gospel of John, in John 4.34, He records Jesus saying, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. Notice that. In John 5.36, Jesus says, But I have a greater witness than John, John being John the Baptist. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me, that the Father has sent me. In John 17 and 4, the final moments of Jesus' life before His arrest and crucifixion, He says in what's called that referred to the high priestly prayer, He says, I have glorified you, Father, on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Notice what Jesus affirms here. Notice how Jesus speaks of the reality of the divine restriction. Of the Father. He says, I've not come down to do my own will. I've come down to do the Father's will. What do you see there? You see the principle of the cross. Not his own will, but the Father's will. He says, Look, I'm here to do and to finish the Father's work, which he has given me to accomplish. What do you see? You see, that equals what he's saying, the principle of the cross. That he's not there to do his own work to live his own life. He's there to do the work that the Father has for him. See, Jesus lived out the principle of the cross, which speaks to divine restriction. During this quarantine, as I got quiet and silent in the early weeks, three words penetrated and went like a light bulb in my spirit. And those three words all started with the R. That's why I've titled this message R3. And those three words were restriction, reorientation, and revival. I want to talk up front about Jesus and divine restriction. When you think about divine restriction, you got to think about the reality of the portrait of Jesus, that Jesus was confined, He was restricted to a physical body. He could only be at one place at one time. In fact, Hebrews 10 and 5 proclaims that therefore when He, Jesus, came into the world, God said of Him, sacrifice, or, or He said, sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for Me. In Philippians 2, it's what scholars refer to as the kenosis passage, the emptying passage. And it's not so much an emptying as a laying aside. And what it says is Jesus laid aside some of His divine attributes when He came in the flesh, when He took on a physical body. He, he laid aside the divine attribute of omnipresent. He was no longer able to be omnipresent, present everywhere at the same time. He was confined and, and in the Father's will, He experienced divine restriction to the physical body. One place, one time. Jesus also experienced divine restriction that He was confined to a people and a place. In fact, the Bible says at the birth of Jesus that a census went forth. In fact, 2020 is a census year in America. And it says that a census was ordered and so Mary and Joseph, they went to Bethlehem. But it says that they went to Bethlehem that He might be born there as the Scriptures proclaimed and prophesied. The Scripture says, Then Jesus dwelt in Nazareth. Why? Because there was divine restriction. Why? Because that He might be called a Nazarene, as the prophet foretold. Then when you think about Jesus' ministry, a lot of times the portrait of Jesus is so confusing to, to people when it comes to the reality of His ministry and the portrait of Jesus in ministry. Jesus didn't minister to all people. You see this principle of the cross that even though Jesus was sent to save all people from their sin and to die and to rescue all nations from the grasp of sin and selfishness and lawlessness, His specific ministry was sent for a specific people. In fact, Jesus said, I was sent 
to the lost sheep of Israel. In Matthew 15 and 24, the gospel writer Matthew quotes Jesus as saying, but he answered Jesus. He being Jesus answered and said, I was not sent, watch this, except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Listen to me. The divine restriction and the reality of divine restriction surprises so many believers today. Where our theology and our understanding of God and the ways of God have been so shallow in American Christianity. Where we preach just exciting and little glib statements that encourage and excite until the next week and oftentimes the reality of divine restriction is surprising to us. But when we talk about the portrait of Jesus, we're talking about allowing the Holy Spirit to challenge us to see Jesus more fully, to see the image of God more clearly in the person and the ministry of Jesus. Jesus was confined to a body. He was confined to a specific people, a specific place. He was confined to the timing of the Father. In Luke 2 and 51, we see at the age of 12, the divine restriction upon Jesus' life. You remember the, the feast was taking place and so Jesus and His family along with many other families goes up to Jerusalem for the feast and His parents leave after the feast is over and along the way home they begin to ask, where's Jesus? Has anybody seen Jesus? And everyone say, no, I don't know where He's at. And they, they rush back to Jerusalem and they find Him in the temple talking and discussing Scripture with the scribes, those that are trained, had been trained in Scripture. And He's confounding them. He's amazing them. But then the Scripture says this, Then He, Jesus, went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them, His parents. But His mother kept all these things in her heart. Watch this, verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with men. Who would have ever thought that the divine restriction of God is not a negative thing, but it's actually the way to one of the most profitable things? That Jesus had the divine restriction of the Father upon His life, meaning He was confined and restricted to the timing of the Father. And, and here He is at 12, submitting himself to his parents, though he is the word of God made flesh. And as he subjected and submitted himself to his parents, he increased in wisdom with God and in favor with God and with men. In fact, when you talk about Jesus and the restriction, divine restriction of the time of the Father upon his life, he didn't begin his ministry when he wanted just when it came into his heart, he began at age 30, his public ministry, the divine restriction. When you think about the divine restriction and the reality of it in the person of Jesus, you think about he was also confined and restricted in his steps. Like the psalmist said in Psalms 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Jesus' steps were ordered by the Father. Jesus was confined to the desire and the will of the Father. And John 6.38, our main passage, he declared, For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Notice that Jesus experienced the divine restriction upon His will, upon His desires, upon His choices in life. He was also confined to the words of another. In John 12, 49, Jesus testified, says, For I have not spoken of my own authority. What I speak doesn't flow out of my own being, out of my own will, out of my own volition. But the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. Divine restriction. He was confined to the way of the Father. He was confined to the work of of another, the work of the Father. In John 5 and 19, Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself, but what He sees the Father do, for whatever He does, the Son also does in like manner. Here you see the divine restriction, the reality of it upon the person of Jesus. And when you think about that, you're getting a portrait of the principle of the cross in consistent demonstration and action through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. What's interesting is people 
even those close to Jesus, resisted the reality of divine restriction. They resisted the reality that, that God the Father has something called divine restriction. I think about Peter and how he often resisted the reality of divine restriction. You remember when they're in Caesarea of Philippi and Peter's just been the first person to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one sent from God. And he's the first to confess it publicly. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father that's in heaven. And then it says very clear in Scripture from that point on, Jesus began to talk to His disciples about divine restriction that He would have to suffer. And the Bible says that Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke Jesus. He began to resist the idea of divine restriction. He says, God forbid that I let you do work on the cross. Jesus, you can do work, and you can do work of miracles, and you can do work of activity, but there's no way that God would want to restrict your miracles and your activity through the, you hanging on a cross and being crucified. Then you see Peter again. This time they're up on a mountain. Jesus took Peter, James, and John. And the glory of God is revealed outwardly that Jesus, of course, is and had and carried inwardly. Moses and Elijah appear. And Peter says, oh, I know what we do here. We need to build three tabernacles. Lord, let's stay up here and build three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then the scripture says that a voice overshadowed Peter's talk. talk. And the father spoke from heaven and said, hey, boy, shush. Hear Jesus. Hear Him. And you see the divine restriction of the Father restricting the activity of Peter, wanting to build and stay up on the mountain, and He restricts it. When you think about the life of Jesus, you think about not only the divine restriction, but you also think about a reorientation. What do I mean? Well, think about this. After the crucifixion and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus ascends back to the Father. He's reoriented physically with heaven and the Father, the angels in heaven. And now He's experienced a reorientation because now He's seated at the right hand of the Father as the high priest, as the intercessor the one who lives to make intercession as the mediator between God the Father and creation. In Hebrews 4 and verse 14 it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest, watch this, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Now weaknesses there of course can't be willful sin. Jesus didn't commit any willful sin. He, he sympathizes with our weaknesses, though, that make us vulnerable to sin. He sympathizes with the flesh. He sympathizes with us in dealing with this world and the contaminants of the world and the tribulation of the world and the pressures of the world and the pressures of people. And now we have a high priest who can sympathize with all that we go through. Why? Because He was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Oh, here we have a reorientation. Now Jesus is back with the Father. He's taken back the glory He's had before creation. Except now He's experienced a reorientation that He is experientially, intimately aware, cognizant of what it's like to be human. To experience the temptations of the devil in the flesh. To experience the course of this world that's against the will and the heart of the Father. To experience the vulnerabilities and the weaknesses and the frailty of a human body. Jesus now sympathizes with you and I today. Not as a far distant creator, but as one who came and walked in the flesh and on the same world that you and I live in, who faced the same temptations we do. Oh, Jesus experienced a reorientation. Now He can be a faithful high priest. He can be a faithful intercessor. He can be a faithful mediator for you and I. He understands experientially what it is to be human. That's good news. That's good news of the incarnation. But then the 
divine restriction, Jesus living from birth all the way through the cross, the principle of the cross, the principle of divine restriction. And after reorientation, you see a revival. He now has the name above every name. A name that's above every name in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. He now has the glory that He had before. He now has been given the earth and the nations of the earth as His inheritance, as the prophetic fulfillment of Psalms 8. You see a revival that a new covenant has been established. One that's now established through His body that was broken and the blood that He shed. Now the nations of the earth can be blessed through the seed of Abraham. That seed, as Galatians 3 says, that seed singular being Jesus Christ. That now a revival can happen in every nation, in every tongue, in every tribe because Jesus lived out divine restriction, had a reorientation with the Father, and then He received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit that He poured out on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. People talk about we want to live under an open heaven. Listen to me, friend. We already live under an open heaven. Jesus has ascended through the heavens. The issue is, is are you and I in a posture to receive and be in alignment with the reality that heaven's been opened through Jesus Christ? That Jacob's ladder has been established through Jesus, that now angels can ascend and descend, that they can serve those that have inherited and will inherit salvation, that the promises of God are yes and amen, not yes and maybe or yes and no. And here's what this means when we think about revival. The power of the Holy Spirit is available for you and I, for us, Watch this, to overcome what He, Jesus, knows experientially is difficult on earth. You know, Jesus had mobs of people that tried to kill Him. You know, Jesus had mobs of people that disagreed with Him. You know, Jesus had mobs of people that slandered Him, resisted Him. Do you know Jesus walked through pressures and He faced temptations like you and I? And the revival, because He lived out divine restriction and had a reorientation with the Father, is that the Holy Spirit's here. The breath of God's here to minister to you and I because Jesus, a faithful high priest and mediator, understands the cares of this life, the tribulation of this world, the difficulties of the flesh, the pressures of this world. That's good news. You see these three R's throughout God's dealings with people. You see these three R's of restriction and reorientation and revival. Think about the life of Joseph. Oftentimes people say, man, I, I want to get God's dream for me. I, I, wanna, I want to be clear on God's call on my life. But do you understand that getting a dream from God is the principle of divine restriction? You see it in Joseph's life. Joseph gets a dream from God. His sheaf arose and all the, his brother's sheaves bowed down to his sheaf. Then he had another dream. The sun and the moon and the stars bowing down to him, meaning his father and his mother and his brothers. But the, God's dream upon his life was a divine restriction. In fact, the psalmist declares in Psalms 105, 19, until the time that his, Joseph's word came to pass, don't miss this, the Word of the Lord tested him. The Word of the Lord restricted him. He, he experienced a divine restriction because of the dream and the assignment and God's plan upon his life. Then you remember how because of this dream, his brothers got jealous and they threw him in a pit. Then he was sold into slavery. Finds himself in Egypt. Then he's in the house of Potiphar and then he gets slandered falsely and then he finds himself in prison. Then a famine happens in the land but now he's second in command. You see this divine restriction but then you see a reorientation because now a famine's happening all over the earth and his family is going hungry. And so Joseph's father sends brothers to go get grain from Egypt they hear that Egypt has grain and it leads to a reorientation of Joseph with his brothers and his family. And when this reorientation happens, Joseph makes a statement in Genesis 45 and 5, but now 
Do not therefore, brothers, be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here into slavery. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Wow. What's he saying? Joseph has had a reorientation that the dream of God restricted him and then it reoriented him that when he saw his brothers again, he wasn't still bitter and wasn't still angry and wasn't going to take vengeance into his own hands. He had a reorientation that actually it was the divine restriction of God and plan of God. And then that restriction led to a revival in his father's life and in his family's life and in the generations to come. In Genesis 45 and 27, it says the brothers return. They tell Joseph's father and they said, listen, Joseph is alive. And he sent all these things. And it says, when Jacob heard it, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And Israel said, it's enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Then they get another type of revival. They get free land. They get the best of Egypt. Pharaoh allows Joseph's family to get the land of Goshen. He said, Pharaoh spoke in Genesis 47, 5 and 6, said, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And then the family experienced multiplication. In Genesis 47, 27, it said, so Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen, and they had it possessions there, and they grew and multiplied exceedingly. You see these three R's in the life of Moses. You remember the Bible says that Moses got a desire in his heart. He began to realize that he was different even though he grew up in in Pharaoh's household. He began to realize his nationality, and he went out and looked upon his Hebrew brethren. And he said he got a desire in his heart to deliver them because All of Israel at the time was in slavery to Pharaoh and to Egypt. And it says that Moses supposed that they would understand that God would deliver them from their slavery by His hand, but they did not. It wasn't the Father's timing. And so you see now Moses is about to learn the reality of divine restriction. He has to spend 40 years in the wilderness tending sheep. Because he didn't live out divine restriction just because he got a desire in the heart to do something for God. It wasn't the Father's timing. He didn't know yet the Father's way of how to do the work. So Moses is there 40 years in the wilderness getting a reorientation. Why? Because Acts 7.22 testifies about Moses. It says he was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in words and deeds. Listen, not mighty in the words of God and the deeds of God's kingdom. He was mighty in the words of Egypt and in the deeds of Egypt. So he spends 40 years in the wilderness getting a reorientation to the words of God and the ways of God that he would be reoriented to God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he would be unlearned now from the ways of Egypt and the ways of Pharaoh. Moses was learned in the ways of Pharaoh when he thought, hey, God wants to deliver people. He just did what he was learned in. He just used his own hand, his own ability to try to deliver the Hebrews. He experienced the reorientation and because he did, praise God, you see the result of a revival. In Acts 7.36 it says, and he, God, brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea. You see a revival of mighty wonders and signs in the land of Egypt. I could go all through Scripture where you see these three R's of the divine restriction of God that facilitates and invites people to experience a reorientation so that then a reviving can take place. What does this mean for you and I today? What does this mean for Dwelling Place Church today? What does it mean for the body of Christ today? Listen, let me talk now about that first R, restriction. Restriction. When you think about the coronavirus and you think about how outwardly due to what we've been facing, there has been physical and social restrictions. We have experienced outward restrictions. 
It's very important, like I ministered last week. If you didn't see it, you can go back and listen at dwellingplacemovement.org. But it's very important to remember that judgment begins with the house of God. Meaning, when things begin to happen on global scale, God can use that to start begin to speak reality and things that He's wanting to judge or revive in His people. Paul speaks about the reality of that same principle in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says, first comes the natural, first things happen in the natural, and then lastly comes the spiritual. What if God has been trying to get judgment in my life, in your life, in His people's life on the earth, and He's used outward restriction to try to give us an opportunity to get a bigger portrait of Christ and to remind us of the reality of divine restriction. Divine restriction. Because divine restriction speaks to the restricting of my fleshly wants, my fleshly desires. Is that not what you and I have experienced some through this pandemic? That some of us have wanted to go physically to work, but we've been restricted to have to do work from home? Some of us have wanted to uh, physically visit friends or family, but because of this, we've been restricted. Some of us have wanted to go to places. I know many people have obviously wanted to get their haircuts. I have benefit there because I've cut mine for over 20 years, but now you have the clue of why my hair always looks so bad. But nevertheless... And when you wanted to get your hair cut, but because of the coronavirus, you were restricted outwardly. And wonder if God's saying, hey, it's happening first to the natural, but I want to use what's happening in the natural. Here we go, conspiracy theories. Theorists, regardless of why it's happened. Regardless of why it's happening in the natural and in the world, He wants to use it if you're a follower of Jesus in our life for something spiritual. Regardless of why the census went out in the days of Jesus, it was to do something spiritual for prophecy to be fulfilled. That Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. But it reminding us the portrait of Jesus, that He didn't just die on the cross, He lived the principle of the cross His entire life. The restriction of our fleshly desires and wants that our life as a follower of Jesus is not just our life. It's a life now purchased by the highest cost possible. The life of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. The body of Jesus. The restriction that as believers we are in the times of the Father. Divine restriction that we're restricted physically to a body. What does this mean? Listen, that you and I, because we're restricted to a physical body, we have limitations. We have mental boundaries. We have physical boundaries. We have emotional boundaries. We have boundaries of how much we can be involved in. And wonder if God is wanting in this time of an outward restriction to remind us of the reality of divine restriction that we are because we're restricted to a body, we have limitations. That some of us are overspent. We're overspending our soul beyond the capacity and the calling that the Father would have for us. We're as weary as unbelievers who don't have the access to the helper and the power of God. That there still remains, as the writer of Hebrews says, a rest for the people of God. There is a rest available in Christ even as we work, even as we worship, even as we follow Jesus. There's to be a different spirit about us. There's to be a different rest about us. There's to be a different calmness and quietness. The effects of a right relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. Did you know prayer is a divine restriction? God help you if you return to to the gathering in the weeks to come and tell your pastor you didn't have enough time to pray (laughs) during the coronavirus pandemic. What if God's reminding us that 
the excuses we had are not valid. That Listen, prayer is a divine restriction that's to be in our life. Why? Watch this. Prayer is restricting daily activity until we first acknowledge our need of God's divine activity. What about this when it comes to restriction in our life? How many brothers and sisters have seen the portrait of Christ in this way of divine restriction? That divine restriction means there's times where the Father actually restricts even good qualities. Do you know that you see in Jesus the divine restriction that His compassion even at times was restricted? Why? Do you know how many hurting people there were in other nations? And yet, because of the divine restriction and the principle of the cross, He wasn't sent in His ministry to those nations. He was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, there were some Gentiles that were wise and they put themselves before Jesus and He healed them, but He didn't go to them. They came and found Him. What about this? The giving, a giving heart is a beautiful thing. But even good qualities have to experience the principle, the cross of divine restriction because you know what happens? If someone doesn't learn divine restriction in the area of giving, they'll enable people. They'll enable people in their dysfunction. And it will actually, when there's not divine restriction, cause even a good quality to not operate in love. In love. That divine restriction happens and God desires it to happen at times so that even the good qualities of our life are not unsubmitted to the Father. To the Father. What about spiritual gifts? Do you know that divine restriction applies to that as well? That first scripture makes clear that God distributes spiritual gifts as He wills. Meaning there's divine restriction involved. He sets the members in the body of Christ as He pleases. What does that mean? Divine restriction. Paul continues on in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, are all apostles, are all evangelists, are all prophets? Rhetorical question, no. Meaning, because of divine restriction. We cannot just minister to other brothers and sisters as we please. It's divine restriction as the Father pleases. And I know the Holy Spirit's grieved. When in physical outward restriction of the coronavirus, you see people who have not been set in the body to be equippers, and they're going live on Sundays at the same time as local churches broadcasting, when they've not been set to function in that. That, though it seems to be good and godly, doesn't have the principle of divine restriction. And it goes against the way of the Father. Counselors are not the same as a local pastor. Coaches are not the same as local shepherds. There's a divine restriction for all the people of God when it comes to the work of God. Matthew 15, 13, Jesus said, Listen, every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted, will be uprooted. What's this remind us of? It reminds me, it reminds you, it should remind us that we're restricted from being able to, in our own ability, save and deliver people. What if the Holy Spirit's wanting to remind you and I when we've been outwardly restricted of the reality of the principle of the cross of divine restriction, that you and I are even restricted in our ability to regenerate people. That unless the Holy Spirit convicts people of sin, of righteousness, and judgment, 
The true work of the kingdom cannot happen. That when we've been physically restricted from being able to lay hands on the sick or pray for people to be delivered, what if in this restriction we're to be reminded that unless the Lord stretches out His hand through our hand, it's just a physical hand on a physical head with no divine activity. Listen to me. How many of you know that there are many of us that have personalities, or even beyond their personality, we're get-it-done people? A lot of America is built on that reality of whatever it takes, get it done. You get an assignment from your boss, you get it done, even if you got to run through a wall. Get it done. But watch this. As followers of Jesus, you have to remember that get it done principle only can deal with natural things. Things that in your own ability you can actually get done. What happens is as followers of Jesus, we have to learn divine restriction or we take a get it done attitude into the spiritual supernatural work of Jesus Christ. But it cannot carry over to spiritual things. You can't get it done when it comes to seeing someone born again. You can't get it done when it comes to seeing a demon cast out of someone that's in bondage. You can't get it done when it comes to someone experience emotional healing because they were abused when they were a child. And so what if, brothers and sisters, God's using this outward restriction to try to speak to us about the spiritual divine restriction that we've lost the right boundaries between get it done when it comes to natural things like we can get it done when it comes to hanging lights and and cleaning the building and and natural things but we can't have a get it done attitude when it comes to the true supernatural work of Jesus Christ in and through His people. Psalms 127.1 says unless the Lord builds the house They labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. We can get it done. We can build physical buildings. We can get it done and and grow numerically. But is it building of the Lord? Does it have the, the hand and the actual touch of only what God can do upon it? I think about Uzziah in the Old Testament. They had a desire to get the physical manifest presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, back to the city. They put it on a cart of oxen. It said they came to a threshold. What if we're at a threshold, friends? What if we're at a threshold, brothers and sisters? What if we're at a threshold, American churches? So they hit that threshold. And the cart went to shaking. And Uzziah, out of sincerity, out of a good quality, out of a get-it-done mentality, but didn't understand the holy boundaries of divine activity versus just human physical activity, Activity. He reached out in his own hand and tried to steady what God was allowing to be shaken. The Bible says instantly he died. Think about Mary and Martha. Find Jesus in the house. And listen, there's nothing wrong with serving. Martha, there's nothing wrong with serving. But there is much wrong with serving when we have not been sitting at the feet of the Master. There's nothing wrong with get it done in areas of ministry that we can get it done and the natural things that we can control. But it is wrong when we're doing those things without having 
than sitting at the feet of Jesus. The portrait of Christ needs to get deeper. It needs to get full of brothers and sisters. In Acts 16, 6 and 7, I I know many churches and brothers and sisters by the way they demonstrate and live their fruit. Their fruit. Live as if this isn't even a possibility of the ways of the Father. That the Spirit of God would actually forbid preaching. What does that mean for you and I? It means that maybe the Spirit of God would actually forbid gathering for a time. Because the Father's after a reorientation of His people back to the central purpose of Jesus. That activity without Christ being manifested is just activity. But it can't do what only God can do. Heal, deliver, save, regenerate. Make dead things come alive. And in Acts 16 and verse 6 it says, Now when they had gone through Fergia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after they had come to Mysa, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Divine restriction. Divine restriction. How often you hear people take pride and rejoice, we'll do anything short of sin to save people. Really? That's a get it done. That's a natural mentality. It's not the way of your father. That's not the way of our father. There are certain means that go against the validation of the message. You see divine restriction even in the book of Acts and the ministry of Paul. So what if, brothers and sisters, what if, friends, that God during this time of coronavirus and outward restriction, He's trying to remind you and I as followers of Jesus of the principle of the cross of divine restriction so that a reorientation would take place. Let me talk about a reorientation. That a right portrait of Jesus would continue to grow, that we would truly continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. Listen. Not Jesus just says the truth, but Jesus also as the way. Of not just working, but doing the work the Father sent us to do. A reorientation that we can't not just do anything that comes into our heart, but like Jesus, we're to only do what the Father has sent us to do. Called us to do without accepting the possibility of divine restriction, we can't even be in a framework to accept the possibility of some activities not being God's will in certain seasons. What about a reorientation to the way of His kingdom? That God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. His ways are not the ways of America or the ways of another nation, His ways are so much higher. His ways is the way of divine restriction, the principle of the cross. The way of His kingdom is pruning, restricting, so that then a reorientation and true kingdom growth can happen. wonder if God has wanted to speak to us, the body of Christ in America, and the outward Restriction of being ever to gather is so He wanted us to get a reorientation of why we gather in the first place. What's the motive of why we're gathering? Who are we actually gathering to? Are we gathering to cult personalities? Are we gathering just to personalities? Are we gathering to the only one who's worthy? Jesus Christ. I'm not worthy. There's no good thing that dwells in Chad's flesh. The world longs for an encounter with the only bread that can satisfy Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Is our churches houses of bread? Is our churches houses where Jesus manifests? 
We're the only one who can heal hurts. The only one that can heal and whose hand can go in the recesses of people's psyche and past and cleanse and deliver and save and renew and restore. That unless the Lord does the work, the labor's in vain. The principle of the cross said there would be a reorientation to kingdom thinking, kingdom perspective, a reorientation of, of imaging that you and I as sons and daughters of God, those of us that are born again, that we have to experience a re-imaging through the person of Jesus Christ to the new creation. Listen, the world we live in tries to get us to be a slave to the image they put before us, the world puts before us. We have to get kingdom thinking of what truly is success. What do we truly need? So often, even though we're born again, we live in slaves to the images of the world. That we have to have certain things to be successful. We have to have certain things to feel accepted. We have to have certain things to be approved. And we become a slave through debt. And now even we're working as a slave, not because we will to and worship to the Father because He's gifted us and given us education and talents to honor Him with. We're working as a slave to an image that our society has put before us. Maybe God wants a reorientation in our hearts, a reorientation of the image that we're making our focal point that like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, with an unveiled face we would see Jesus like in a mirror because we're made after His pattern. We're not to be patterned after the imaging of the world. We don't have to have everything in the world or the things of the world. We're new creations. Oh, how the Father longs for you and I as His sons and daughters to walk in the liberty of sons and daughters. Not slaves to debt, slaves to things, slaves to imaging. I think about Saul. You remember Saul? He experienced a divine restriction. He was on his way to Damascus and Jesus appears to him and he experienced divine restriction. He goes blind. He loses his ability to see. Now he's groping for those that was with him to take him by the hand. He has to now become dependent on others. He was so self-led, self-independent. And the Lord speaks and said, I'm going to send a man to you and he'll pray for you and restore your vision. God speaks to a disciple and Paul's been fasting an absolute fast three days. No food, no water. He's being reoriented and Ananias comes in and prays for him and like scales falls from his eyes and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, wonder if God's trying to reorient us, brothers and sisters, that you and I alone don't have every spiritual gift. We don't have every spiritual function. That we need some other voices. We need some other manifestations of Christ for us to see the full picture of Jesus fully. He spends three years in the desert being discipled by the risen Christ. I think about the two disciples on the walk to Emmaus. Christ is walking with them and they can't see it. You go read it. It says that they were restricted in their understanding from seeing Him. But then they come and they break bread and they eat a meal together and their eyes are open. And they encounter Jesus more fully. They grow in a more full portrait of Jesus of how to encounter Him. That it's not just in the gathering, it's also in the breaking of bread and the fellowship with other brothers and sisters. What about Peter? In Acts, he's praying. He's fasting, actually. He falls into a trance. He ha- God has to give him a vision three, three times because he's trying to reorient Peter to a revival that's about to happen in Cornelius' house, that a home that Peter would never go in before because they were Gentiles, and previously Peter thought it's unclean to be around them. God had to reorient him so a revival would happen. First Gentiles get saved and a revival happens to that home. 
That's why in Acts 3.19 it says, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. May this time of restriction remind us of divine restriction. May it lead us to a reorientation to the full picture and person of Jesus Christ that when we come and are able to gather again, we experience a refreshing and a reviving. Oftentimes, some, sometimes people scoff at the idea of revival today. Because they forget or willfully forget that the literal sense of the word revival means it must at one time been alive. So when you talk about revival, you're talking about it something at one time in a person, in a people, in a church was alive, was active, but has been uh, died up, dried up, distracted from being revived. And sometimes people scoff because they think that true revival, genuine revival, is just when things that have never been active in a person's heart or in a local church, those things get revived. Well, why can't it be both? And what you'll find is, is Jesus normally only finds us in a posture to first have revived things that we've previously experienced. And what if the Lord wants to revive some things that used to be alive in the churches in America, like supernatural deliverance, supernatural healing, like true regeneration and conversion, true repentance. And then from that, it leads to reviving some things that's not for centuries been alive in the church of America. Why can't it be both? Paul, he was a minister of death, but he then got restricted, reoriented, and then a revival happened. He became a minister of the life of Jesus. Peter and Cornelius, they had a restriction. They're praying. They're fasting. They get a reorientation. A revival happens. Gentiles get saved. See, listen to me. It's not the truth that makes us free. It's only the truth that we know that makes us free. Lastly, I want to leave us with this challenge in John 17, 20. 18 and John 20, 21. This is what Jesus says to disciples. He says to the leaven that was around Him and then to disciples who will follow Him and are following Him today, as you sent me into the world, Father, I also have sent them into the world. And then John 20, 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Are you a disciple? Are you a follower of Jesus? If you're a follower of Jesus, He says that you're sent, watch this, according to the same pattern that He was sent. Just as the Father sent Him, that's the pattern you and I are sent in. Just as the Father restricted Him, divine restriction, that pattern's got to be in our life. So listen to me. I want to give you five things regarding this pattern. Number one, we are sent after the same pattern that the Father sent Jesus. We're sent, restricted. Secondly, we are restricted in our words, in the message we are to preach. Too many just preach, like Ephesians 4, out of their own craftiness and desires of their heart. And that's why people are still babes, tossed to and fro by the trickery of men. See, apostolic authority and anointing that leads to true kingdom building only happens when we submit to the apostles and prophets already sent, who according to Ephesians 2 are part of the foundation of the church, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. In the divine restriction of our words comes a reorientation and a revival, a true manifestation of King Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. We're also restricted in our will and the way we live. The book of Ephesians says we're to walk worthy of this holy calling, this holy restriction. Fourthly, we're restricted in our work ministering to the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit gives gifts as He wills. He sets members to function in the body as He pleases. That we're only to seek to manifest and minister Christ to other brothers and sisters in the area of our gifting. We can give a cup of water in the name of Jesus to anybody. Anybody can do that. But when it comes to certain gifts and functions, there is divine restriction divine restriction and then fifthly we're restricted in and by the limitations 
of our physical, mental, and emotional capacities. We're restricted. Jesus often would get away and pray. Jesus often would withdraw Himself. Jesus had people that wanted to make Him more popular and make Him king by force. And what did He do? He withdrew Himself from those means because it's not the way of the Father. There's divine restriction. There's got to be a reorientation to the new creation, to the to God, our new Father, to the new family, the body of Christ, a revival to the Father's eternal purpose and original intention for doing all of this. A restriction to our words, our will, and our way. I want to put before us dwelling place, church, brothers and sisters, that if the restriction of the coronavirus, if it's led to a reorientation in our heart and our mind, to a fuller portrait and picture of Jesus, then it will lead to a reviving of such realities in our life in the days ahead. Are you ready? Number one, gratitude and high value for the ability to gather as a church. If we've allowed the reorientation during this restriction, when we are able to gather, we should come in oh, with such a value of being able to gather in person with other brothers and sisters corporately. That the idea that we would sleep in because we had a difficult Saturday, a long Saturday, Oh no, a reviving. Because we've had a reorientation. We value the high cost of being ever to gather with other brothers and sisters. What about this? The necessity of the one anothering of Scripture through the grouping of the church in connect groups. My God. If some of the brothers and sisters weren't already in connect groups, do you know how much more difficult this would be for them mentally and emotionally? spiritually, practically, that we see it's a necessity dwelling place that we don't just gather, we group together. Because Jesus is made known in that type of fellowship and breaking of the person, the breaking down of the person of Jesus, asking questions, sharing one another. Thirdly, well, here's a big one, a big revival. The primary person responsible for your growing is you through intentionally drawing near to God to hear and then obey. So, so long in America, some people live as if it's the pulpit, it's the pastor. And they got to get a word and that's the main, primary, responsible person for their spiritual growth. There needs to be a reviving in America that the main person responsible for us growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus is ourselves. Victim mentality, passivity, excuses. Be freed as we're reoriented to Jesus. At the feet of Jesus. What about this one? Fourthly, the benefit of faithful giving in your life. That even when tough times come, you already live in a posture demonstrating that God's your source. Your job's not your source. God's your source. The job is the means. And God has all kinds of jobs when you know He's the source. And what about this? And when tough times come, you already participate in His kingdom economy of giving and receiving. What a reviving that would look, be in our lives. What about this? Parents being mindful that God has them in their children's life as the primary means for them to be taught and trained in the ways of the Lord. I think about how so many parents now, because of the coronavirus and the outward restriction, got forced into having to homeschool their kids. And, and you hear them say, well, I'm, not, I'm not called to teach my children. Well, brothers and sisters, as parents, we're the main teachers to our children. And wonder if God wanted to use the natural restriction first to remind us, lastly, of the spiritual restriction to reorientate us and to revive this reality that as parents, I am the main teacher in my children's life of the ways of the Lord, the Word of God, even beyond youth pastors, children's pastors, 
a revival. Boy, wouldn't that be beautiful. Homes walking in the high calling through the power of the Holy Spirit. What about this? Children. I hope mine are listening. Children understanding submission and respect to their parents as the God-appointed primary teachers in their life. They get loud, disrespectful. Well, you're not my teacher. No, no, a revival would look like our children in the body of Christ understanding, no, their parents are primary teachers God-given and there should be respect and honor in there. Boy, what a revival. What a revival. Where we wouldn't sound like, look like what you're hearing in social media, the world respond like. What about this one? Reviving of who we work for, why we work, and the way we work. And then lastly, eight, wisdom in taking care of our health and learning the value of divine rest and in financial biblical stewardship. When I think about how the coronavirus and the physical restrictions how God through His Spirit wants to first bring truth and grace to His people to remind us of Jesus as the principle of the cross in divine restriction through this time. To get a reorientation to Jesus and the things of Jesus to revive these things in our heart, in our gathering, in our growing, in our grouping, in our giving, and in our homes. Boy, what a beautiful, beautiful aroma could show up in the days ahead. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.